Good morning. He is risen. That's right. He is risen indeed. So we'll do that again. He is risen. Yeah, it's a great, great day in church. If I could have a little bit more light so I can see the people. If you're visiting with us this morning, <laughs> my name is Philip, and I'm the pastor here. If you're not visiting, I'm still Philip, and I'm the pastor here. So uh, that 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 is that. We've been going through a series called Drop It, and um, the culmination of that series is Easter Sunday, and so uh, very excited about this particular sermon. So to get started, I want to show you a couple of pictures, and I want to show you uh, some things that some people said at the end of their lives, all right? So these are famous people across the spectrum uh, that said the, these things to people that were very close to them at the time of their death, okay? So first, Chris Farley said, don't leave me. You might not know that story, but it's very sad, and I hate to start with kind of a high and then a low, but Chris Farley was partying with a lady, if you could call her that, and she, and they partied all day, and when she left, he fell on the floor, because he had overdosed, and he reached out to her and said, don't leave me, and she took a picture and then left. That's very, very sad. Next picture. So, this is uh, Thomas Jefferson. It is not Thomas Jefferson. That is not Thomas Jefferson. That is Adams. James Adams. No, Adams. John Adams. Great. Good. I'm just testing to see if y'all know who historical figures are this morning. That's what I John Adams. And Thomas Jefferson was his nemesis. So um, at his deathbed, his final words to the people around him was, Thomas Jefferson, my enemy, survives. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Next. This is Augustus Caesar. I'm pretty sure because of the haircut. I have played the part, have I played the part well, then applaud me as I exit. That's what he told the people that were close to him. Next. <laughs> Do you know who that is? That's Bob Marley. And Bob Marley says, money can't buy life. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, money can't buy life. Money cannot buy life. And he said that to the closest people around him when he died. Okay? Now there's this one. I'll be back in three days. And he was back. Three days later, the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive. He appeared to everyone around him. He kept his promise and it was an amazing thing. No one else in history has ever resurrected themselves from the dead. Nobody. And if you doubt that that happened, there's plenty of historical evidence that we're not going to get into that shows that that grave was empty and he actually arose from the dead and people actually saw him. And they didn't see him just one time. They saw him several times over and over and over again. And it wasn't hallucinations that they saw. It wasn't the the uh, drugs or whatever they were drinking or whatever like that that made them see him. Over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ with their very own eyes. And some of them wrote about it. And that's an amazing thing. And so this morning we celebrate the resurrection. So with all that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. John chapter 21. 
John chapter 21. And check this out. Verse 1. After this, after he's showed himself to several people, including downing Thomas, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I, I was talking to a, to a boy, he's, he's back there, and he said in his Easter basket, he got a fishing hook. And he was excited about it. So at some point, hopefully today, his parents are going to take him fishing because he was like really bright and really excited about all that. He was, he was on the back row. He was cute as he could be. Okay, that, that just reminded me of that. Sorry. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now this is similar to a story that happened at the beginning of the Gospels where these fishermen were, were out and they had caught nothing at all. So very similar. In fact, it's almost like God is making a parallel here. So in verse 4, it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He was on the shore, disciples didn't know. Probably because they were not looking for him. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, whose name was John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. He's, he's the stranger on the shore. He is the one that you didn't recognize. And the disciple that Jesus loved is talking to the disciple that was all gung-ho, Peter. And he's saying, that is Jesus. You need to open your eyes so that you can see him. You need to open your eyes so you can see him. I am pretty sure that in this church today, there are people with various views of life and how life works out. And, and, and they do this for a living. They, they have this type of family. And, and they go here, they, they shop at Walmart, they shop at Kroger, they shop at different places. There is an array of people in this room. But all of us, before we leave here today, need to be able to see Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our eyes need to be open to his existence. We need to recognize that and have faith in him that, yes, the grave is empty, but there's something else going on. He is alive so that you and I can live. And see, in this room, I am sure that there's people that may have given up on life. You may wonder why in the world we do all of this. You may have been brought here by somebody for the very first time, and you're not really sure what's going on at this moment. You're not sure what happened with the worship service. Well, this is all about one person. It's about Jesus Christ who saved my soul and gave me life so that I might live. I have hope today because of Jesus. And all of us at certain times in our life, whether we believe in him or not, get these blinds over our eyes and we can't really see what's important. 
we start looking here and we and we start going there and 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 we start going back to where we were before and and we do all this stuff and somehow or another we get our eyes off of Jesus. My encouragement to you this morning as we unfold this sermon is that you when you leave this room will no longer have your eyes somewhere else on something else that's going on in your life but your eyes will be on Jesus because they're open. He is no longer the stranger on the shore. He's your friend. He's no longer the stranger on the shore. He is the one that has saved your soul. He's no longer the stranger on the shore. He is the one that gives you life, the life that you are looking for in everything else because you're lost. He is the one that has come to save you and show you the way to life because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. It's an amazing moment. Your eyes need to be open. And it goes from the best of us to the worst of us. And I'm not really sure who's the best and who's the worst. I know where I rate myself on that scale. Right? Do you know where you rate yourself on that scale? Have you ever compared yourself to other people? Oh, I'm sure you haven't. Have you ever, it, this is shaking your head. I can see you, right? I, I mean, I could, you know. Have you ever rated, have you ever, like, sized yourself up to other people? Yeah. I have on the basketball court. Yeah. Every time I'm on the lower end of that whole scenario, unless it was my five-year-old son, um, I could whip him in basketball, but nobody else favored me, right? We compare ourselves to other people, right? If you look right beside you right now, you can compare yourself to the person next to you. You can say, oh, they're taller than me, they're shorter than me, thank God they're fatter than me, right? They smell pretty good today, I'm glad they took a, a shower, really that teenager should have put on deodorant before he left the house. We compare ourselves, and we, and we compare ourselves. What's dangerous is sometimes we compare ourselves to see if we're better or worse, sometimes that, that's okay, but... Most of the time it's not. So we, we say, oh, well, we know this person is sinning, and we know their sins. My sins are a little more hidden, so we compare ourselves that way. We see if we're better, we see if we're worse, and we, and we measure it that way. If you take a few moments to take the scales off your eyes and actually look at Jesus, and then you compare your life to him, there's no comparison. He is perfect in every way. He never sinned. He's the God that created you and I, right? He's more powerful than anyone in this room. He is the reason that we sing. He's the reason that we celebrate. He is the reason the tomb is empty. He does things that I cannot do. I cannot even accomplish. I can't even think about accomplishing those. I can see it when it happens and I can think about it at that point, but I can't, I can't, it's just amazing. Yesterday was one of those moments at the church. If you helped with the ET tours yesterday, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand all across the room. We can give them a hand for helping. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. So then we had some leaders. We had Seth. He was over all the egg hunts. And uh, Angie York was over all the ET tours. She put all that together. And then Jonathan was over the picture taking, so we had pictures at tractors. And, and then um, Ms. Rhonda, 
was over the food, and they did a wonderful job. So we can congratulate them too, right? Because they were the leaders. They're great. Yeah. But there's one person that was here that was better than all of those people combined. And it was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was pointing everybody that came on this property to the Lord Jesus Christ and his whole life from start to finish. From the time he was born to the time he went to the cross, from the time he rose from the grave, it was the Holy Spirit that caused that event to go so well. Did we have good leaders? Yes, but nothing compared to what the Holy Spirit did. He made everything come together, and there were lives that were changed yesterday in ways that we don't even realize at this point, and some that we do, but it was an amazing moment at this church when the Holy Spirit was involved and when Jesus Christ was doing his thing. There's no comparison between me and Jesus. Are you and Jesus? And maybe the way that we can lift the scales off our eyes is to quit comparing ourselves to other people Focus on him and always every day compare our holiness with his holiness. And then we realize that our holiness is as filthy rags. And we have a long way to go in order to achieve what he wants to achieve in our life, which is to be in the image of the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Open your eyes. So what did, what did Peter do? Okay, verse 7, that disciple who Jesus loved, therefore said, Peter, it is the Lord. And when, he, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When he realized it was Jesus, Peter, he didn't wait, he jumped in. Let me tell you a couple of things about Peter. Peter had a lot of reasons not to jump in to the sea and swim to Jesus. Three specifically. He denied him once. He denied him twice. He denied him three times. Now Peter felt like Jesus was his best friend. He was one of the main three that got to go up on the mountain and see the transformation of Jesus and, and Moses. And, I mean, it was, it was amazing. This guy, this guy was the real deal, right? And he denied Jesus three times and felt so bad about it that he went back to his old life and what he originally was doing before Jesus found him. So he felt bad. So if anybody on that boat should not have jumped into the water and swam toward Jesus, it would have been Peter. But Peter, because he still somewhere deep inside of himself loved Jesus, he jumped into the water and he swam all the way to him and came up on the, on the shore drenching wet to see Jesus face to face. And he stood there, wet hair a mess, clothes sticking to his body in front of a perfect Savior because his eyes had been opened. But that's not what gets me as much as Jesus being, is standing on, this, on the shore. Are you tracking with me? Why is Jesus standing on the shore in front of somebody that has denied him. Why is that? Why is that? 
I don't know about you, but I have a hard time with people that stab me in the back, standing in front of them, welcoming, welcoming them back. I also have a problem with people that have stabbed me in the back, sitting down with them and eating a meal with them, which is what Jesus is about to do. In fact, while they were out there trying to catch their fish, Jesus is on the shore cooking a meal for breakfast for the guys as they come in. Jesus is standing in front of Peter, who has denied him three times, stabbed him in the back three times, and he's just fine with it. I would not, as a human, be all that fine with it. I would have to pray about it and just make sure that Jesus wanted me to love that person. Right? And it would be a hard prayer to pray. But here's Jesus. He's just standing there. Why is Jesus standing in front of Peter? Here's why. Because Jesus wanted him back. And the reason that Jesus is standing before you this morning, though you may not see him on the stage, he is definitely in this room. The reason that Jesus is here this morning is because he wants you back. You may have left him and you're starting to live a lifestyle that you're not supposed to live and you know that he knows that you're not supposed to live it. He is here today to say, I want you back. I want you back. You are valuable. I want you back. You may be sitting in here for the very first time, have never heard the gospel before, or maybe you have, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood so that you could have forgiveness of sin. He rose the third day so that you can have life. And all you have to do is confess that you're a sinner and confess him as Lord and you are saved. That's all you have to do. You don't have to do anything else. You may be hearing that for the very first time. Jesus is in front of you today saying, I want you. I want you a part of my family. And to believers, he's saying, I want you back. Is there anybody in this room that needs to come back to Jesus and get, and get more serious about him in their life? Is there anybody in this room that needs to have the scales taken off of their eyes so that they can see Jesus, so that they can come back to him, so that their life will actually change? I would put money down that there is a percentage of people in this room that need to do that today. Look, I'll be honest, because I'm not a Methodist, I'm a Baptist. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just a little joke. It's not, they're not liars, just most of them. I'm just, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding about, kidding, kidding about all that. I love, I love people of faith. I really do. So it, back to this. I'll be honest with you. This week, I had to refocus on Jesus and come back to him. The amazing thing to me about all of that is that he's always there, he always has his arms open, waiting for me to come back to him. Always. It doesn't matter. Now, run with me on this. If my sin is this big to me, or if I just feel like I've dug a hole and I can't get out of it, Jesus is always on the shore wanting me back. The amazing thing about the story isn't that Peter swam to him. The amazing thing about the story is that Jesus came to him and stood on the shore and waited for him to get there. Jesus is waiting for you to get on the shore. He's waiting for you to jump back in and make your way back to, 
him, Jesus wants you back. He wants you back. He just does. So what else is happening here in the story? Well, when they got on on the land, they saw a charcoal fire and the place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. That means that there was an administrator in the midst that had already counted them. The creative people were already on the shore, tried to do something to play with the fire. The other administrative people, they had counted. There's 153 of them. And all there, there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. There was no doubt. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, and this was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So to kind of wrap all that together in in something that may, you know, that for, for this moment. I want to start with a video of, of a song that I recently found that I have absolutely enjoyed ever since I found it. And I want you to see it, and then I want to go back to this text and make a couple of points. So here's, here's the video. I hope you enjoy it. So what does this mean? What does that song have to do with this text? And what in, what in the world is going on? All right, check this out. Each time Jesus says these words back to Peter after he asked him if he loved him. He says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Now you might not know much about shepherding, and I don't either, but I've read a little bit about it. Shepherding is like a family. There's a head shepherd, and then he invites other people to help him. The reason that he invites other people to help him is because you can't just trust anybody, so he's very choosy who he, who he calls into the fold. So a shepherd, if he has a hundred sheep, will basically go out and, and either hire a family member that he trusts or a friend that he trusts to be a part of the group. And those shepherds, the head shepherd and those shepherds will go places. They will take the sheep to places together. They will sleep together. They will eat together. They will talk together while they're watching the sheep. I don't know if you know this or not, but watching sheep is kind of boring unless something exciting happens. So there's a lot of time to talk, a lot of time to, to, to get intimate with each other in the sense of talking and getting to know. And so when you as a shepherd ask somebody to be a part of your task of shepherding, you're asking them to be a part of your family. You're asking them to be a part of what you're doing. And so Jesus, in a very figurative sense, is saying this to Peter. Not only do I want you back, I want you to come home. 
I want you to come home. I just don't want to meet you on the shore and cook you breakfast. I want you to come home. I want you to come home right now where you are. I want you to come home while you're here on earth. Because one day, I want you to be a part of the ultimate home in heaven. I want you to come home. It's more than Jesus just getting a thrill out about uh, thousands and thousands and, and thousands of people coming to know him as their personal savior. He really doesn't rate that up high. He doesn't. He's not worried about how many people come. He's not counting people. He doesn't have numbers going on in his head. What he wants is for the human race to come home to him. That's what he wants. He wants them to come home to him. If you are outside of the fold today, and you're not walking with the Lord, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is here today, and he wants you to come home. He wants you back, and he wants you in the fold. He wants you back, he wants you serving him again, and he wants you behind him. He wants you tending to his sheep. He wants you to be all that you can be because he rose out of the grave. Not so many people across the entire world could be saved, but so many people across the world could be with him in heaven one day in the ultimate home so that many people across the world could be saved from their sins and a part of something bigger and greater and life so that people across the world could flee death and attach themselves to his life. We needed rescuing. We needed someone to say, you are valued. We needed someone to say, I want you. I want you, and if you go away from me, I want you back. And more importantly, I want you in my home. I want you in my family. It is not just an empty grave. It is an invitation to live with the God who loves you and wants you. Come on. That's the resurrection. But I'm going to add something else. If it's not good enough that we need to open our eyes to look at Jesus and come back, if it's not good enough, that he wants us back. Like if that isn't enough, right? If that isn't enough. If it's not enough that God wants us a part of his home, there's one more thing left. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but Peter, he accepted this. He accepted this. And from this point, a couple of days later, Peter's on a hillside and he sees Jesus go up into heaven. And then Peter and all the apostles go to an upper room. And there, I don't know what they're doing in the upper room. I know they're pulling some straws to figure out who's going to be the 12th. They're doing that. Maybe they have some, maybe they were Baptists and they had some food on the table. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they had. But they were in this upper room and they were waiting because Jesus told them to go there and wait because there was something coming. And they were up in that upper room, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit filled the place in such a way that it felt like an earthquake. And the Holy Spirit filled them inside, came and filled them, and gave them a task to do. They were given 
the power, get this, the power of God. The power of God. And so they left that upper room and they went out to Jerusalem and they began to preach. And that day, 3,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. The following day was 5,000 people. And they kept going and going and going. And the reason that we can celebrate the resurrected Christ today at Farmington Baptist Church is because Peter believed what Jesus said, went up into that room, and was given the power to start the church. The same power that he was given to start the church after he came home is the same power that resides in everyone in this room that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. You and I have the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of us. And when we are home and doing his work, that power goes out of us and does good in the world. And people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And people are discipled. And things change. Environments change. If you want your uh, home environment to change, you come back to Jesus. You come home. You allow his power to control your life, and you allow that power to flow through you into your house. And it's a different house than it is when you're away from the fold. If you want your work to be different, what you do is you come back to the fold, and you make sure you're home, and you submit to the power of the Holy Spirit, and you let that flow through your life, and your work changes. Your attitude changes. Your commute to work changes. The way you interact with people, it changes. Because Jesus not only died to save us from our sins, he died to give us life abundantly. And so it's not just him wanting you back. He wants you home. He wants to empower you so that you can make it through this life. And I don't know about you, but I need his power to make it through this life. I grow weary of trying to do things on my own. Number one, there's a lot of stuff I'm just not good at, and I try to do it anyway. Don't laugh at me, Derek Cornette. He knows the list of things that I probably shouldn't be messing with, right? There's a lot of things that I try to do that I just can't do. The thing that weighs on my soul the most is I can't, I can't change people. I want to. I wish I had the power in some type of device where I could go in and I could download an app and I could put in somebody's name, right? Like Kendrick Fuchs. And I could like just say, there's like a checklist. Do you want him to be nicer or meaner? And I could check nicer. Do I want him to follow Jesus or run away from it? I'd like him to come back and follow Jesus. He's, he's really a good guy. I'm just using him as an example because he can, he's man enough to take it. Go down the list. I want him to love his wife like Christ loved the church, or I want him to just be angry at her all the time. And I could check that box, and I could, just, I could just change him by just checking these boxes. And then there would be like an enter, an enter button where I could say enter. And then from my phone to his brain, he's a changed man. Would that not be an awesome power to have? Dangerous, but awesome. So, so when you meet with, with like a family, 
family that's having family troubles, and, and they're sitting, they're like sitting in your office, they're telling you stuff, and you're trying to help them as much as you possibly can, man, it'd be great to like pull out maybe at that point your laptop and say, now what do you want? You want him to do the dishes? Okay. You want her to be a little nicer to you when you come home? Okay. And then enter and fix. That would be an awesome way for I control everybody's Everybody's life. Everybody. Oh my. Yeah. But we would have a lot of fun. But I can't do that. I can I can tell people. Listen to me. I can tell people over and over again that Jesus values you. I can tell people over and over again this is not the way to go. You need to go back this way. This is what the Bible says. I can tell people over and over again that Jesus wants you back, that Jesus wants you to come home. I can tell you over and over again that once you're home and committed to the Spirit, the power is absolutely amazing. I can tell you over and over and over and over again, but I cannot make you do it. Do you know somebody that can make you do it, that will not make you do it? It's God. It's God. God has that ability. I don't know if you know this or not, but he has that ability. At any moment in time, God could just take over my mind and do whatever he willed. He created me. He has that power. But for some reason that he knows, and I do not completely understand, but I'm good with it. He has given you and I the freedom to choose to either come home or run away. And he will allow you to run away. He will allow you to focus on everything else but him. But here's what he's not willing to do. He is not willing to leave you. He stands on on the shore as a stranger. Are you tracking with me? Until the scales come off of your eyes and you see him there. And then you realize he wants you back. And then you make a choice to come back. And he says, welcome home. And then you make a choice to submit to his leadership. And then his power comes back into your life the way that it should. We can see the empty grave all we want to. We can see Jesus on the shore. But unless we're home and allowing him to empower us, We're not doing our job as Christians. We're just not. So, on Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate the risen Christ, maybe this should be your moment where you say, I've ran away from him, and I shouldn't have. I see him now on the shore of my life saying, come back. Maybe it's time to jump in and swim to him and come back home. Drop everything else and swim to Jesus. Drop everything else and come home to him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. and We thank you for this lesson from John 21. You met with Peter. And I have no idea 